Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. I've been sitting here the whole time thinking, uh, how do I follow Gontamer and Bata? Uh, after hearing such inspiring words, and thank you so much, just so inspiring, I was just like, let's get out of here, let's go, and uh, I'll go to True Vine. Why don't we get in our cars and go to True Vine right now? Uh, not, not, some would. I can see about two or three right there who would go immediately. Uh, it was just wonderful, and I thought, wow, that was just so, so inspiring to me. Uh, thank you again, and uh, you are tribe and family here, you know that, Gontemer, and all the family, including Nandan Princess. I love that. <clears throat> This is second in a series called Deficient Dictums, Half-Truths That Need the Whole Truth. Uh, Two weeks ago, I talked about that common phrase, God helps those who help themselves, that the majority of Americans think is in the Bible. But it's not. And it's really more of a half-truth because the truth is God does help those who cannot help themselves, and we should help those who cannot help themselves. Today, we deal with a different one, Love the Sinner hate the sin. How many of y'all have ever heard that phrase? Most of you know it's not in the Bible, but it's commonly used. Love the sinner, hate the sin. It's interesting to me, it's significant to me that Jesus never tells us to hate anything. I know there's a passage that says, uh, you, you know, to follow me, you must hate your father and mother and brothers and sisters. Really, and to really even hate your own life, Jesus said. But really, if you study the Greek there, it means to love less. Really, Lawrence put it well in his prayer just a few moments ago, saying that, you know, even though we have family members whom we love, we need to put him first. That's what that means. And he never says, I love you, but I hate your sin, at least in the biblical record. Never says that. Interestingly, the phrase comes directly from an autobiography written in 1929. Do you know whose autobiography it was? You know where this quote comes from? Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi in his 1929 autobiography. Now, years before, in 424 uh, A.D., uh, Augustine uh, did have a phrase that, which roughly translates with love for mankind and hatred of sins in one of his letters. But really, it comes from Mahatma Gandhi, which is interesting. Now, there is some merit to the phrase, I guess you could say, but it really could be expressed more clearly uh, in a way that's better for believers and non-believers alike. Uh, what are some of the issues? Well, first of all, the phrase can breed the judging of others. Have you ever felt judged by somebody? Somebody wanting to take the speck out of your own eye when they had a huge log in their own? And, you know, did that experience draw you closer to that person or to God? Most likely not. But what about when someone spoke graciously to you, as Paul says, speaking the truth in love? Sometimes that does make a difference, doesn't it? And it can break down barriers of animosity between two people. It can bring you to a point of reconciliation between them or perhaps to God. 
Or conversely, did you ever unfairly judge someone? Certainly, you probably have. Now, I'm looking at my phone here. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, A number of days ago, I was driving home from church. And uh, let's see if I can find it here. If not, I'll just read it from, let's see, hold on. Uh, I was driving home from church, and uh, wait, 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 okay, here it is. I think, yeah, okay, here it is. Uh, I love Catherine Thomas. Many of you know Catherine. She's a daughter of the church. She's soon to go over and do uh, missionary work over in Uganda. Uh, she's been my associate in the pre-men scholars program at Sanford over the past year. But a number of days ago, I was driving home, and I was on Stone River Drive uh, going down that hill from... Uh, that, you know, if you took a right, you'd go to Cherokee Bend Elementary. I kept going, and it was, a, it was the intersection of Stone River and Kennesaw, high towers. Stone River and Kennesaw, and I looked across at that four-way stop, and I saw Catherine, the beautiful auburn-colored hair. Is Catherine here this morning? Okay, okay. I did get your permission, I know. And she had her head down as she was there at the stop sign, and I noticed uh, she's texting. She's texting. And I love Catherine. But I hate that sin, right? <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to get her. And scary, scary enough, she, she kept driving and didn't even look up after she, you know, was at the stop sign and continued going on. And I thought, well, first of all, I, and it was mixed motives, I'll be honest. I thought, oh, I can, I can rebuke her, but this is just going to be fun, you know. <laughs> and so I have what transpired after that here. Now, let me say, uh, well, I, I, first of all, I just said, did I just see you texting while driving Bad KT, bad KT. And I waited, I just couldn't wait, you know. And by the time I got to my driveway at my home, I looked down and she said, uh, no, currently watching an episode of The Office in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> Not my car. And I thought, doggone it. And then she got me back there. She said, wait a minute, are you texting and driving? <laughs> okay, you've heard of Siri right? Usually I just say call, Deanna calls her the other woman. I said text KT and I spoke it, okay? I know probably I shouldn't even do that. I really came out the loser in that, but anyway. (laughs) But I was judging her unfairly, very much unfairly. She has a lot of lookalikes apparently, so I judged too quickly. You and I can all do that, and Jesus is keenly aware of that. That's why he says with the passage that Larry read, do not judge for the degree that you judge others. To that degree, you are going to be judged. Get the log out of your own eye before you pluck the speck out of the other person's eye. You know, if I start looking at you as a sinner and not as a neighbor, then, I'm, then I could well start looking at you as far as what's wrong with you. It's like I'm going to love you even though you're a sinner. You know, we have a natural tendency to judge each other's sins. And Paul says, leave that to God. Leave that to God. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5 says, Paul says, is it coming up? There you go. Uh, My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring out our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give each one whatever praise so don't judge. That's not your job. That's God's job, particularly at the end of all time. He goes on to say in Romans, don't be a stumbling block to one another and don't create stumbling blocks to relationship with, with each other or to God. Look at Romans 
14, 10 and 13. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause, one, cause another believer to stumble and fall. And let me stretch that and say we don't want to cause a believer to stumble and fall. We also don't want to be a stumbling block to unbelievers. There was a very influential book came out a few years ago called Unchristian by David who did a lot of research on young people in America. And he found a stunning 87% of non-religious people in America believe Christians are non-judgmental, or rather are judgmental. 87% of, of non-believers say that Christians are judgmental. And it's really encapsulated uh, by a 25-year-old named Jeff who is quoted in the book saying, Christians talk about hating sin and loving sinners, but the way they go about things, they might as well call it what it is. They hate the sin and the sinner. Now, you know that's not all true by any stretch, but that is the sentiment there. So sometimes we do need to be careful about perception and things that we say, including something like love the sin and hate the sinner. Paul was concerned at different times where we needed to limit what we said, limit our freedoms in Christ so we don't cause someone to stumble. And I think it really applies to this matter. You know, I heard someone say that love the sinner, hate the sin is the ancient version of bless his heart. <laughs> you know, we get away with saying something mean and gossipy and judgmental as long as you end with bless her heart. You know, it's that same backhanded compliment that's sort of implied with love the sinner or hate the sin. And I think that person had a point. And it can spread ill will. It's interesting. In Gandhi's autobiography, where you get this phrase, many assume that Gandhi uh, uh, embraces this view of love the sinner, hate the sin. I have seen t shirts with love the sinner, hate the sin and with Gandhi's picture on it. That's not what he's saying. Look at the full sentence here, let alone the whole chapter, but he says this, hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept, which though easy enough to understand is rarely practiced, and that's why the poison of hatred spreads in the world. He doesn't even embrace it. He does not embrace it himself. There was a pastor I respect a lot. I remember we were talking about this phrase some time ago, and he said, you know, Jim, I have enough sin in my life that I hate. I don't have time to hate yours. I thought that was well put, and that brings me to the next point. If we're going to hate sin, maybe we should focus on hating our own. But, but, but I, let, let me modify that even more, because I'd like to get away from the word hate. I would say we should mourn our own sin, grieve over our own sin. Again, Augustine said, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. It's interesting, in context, he's referring to hating our own sin. But again, so often with love the sin... Uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, love the sin or hate the sin, we are thinking of the other person and not applying it to ourselves. And, and, and we need to get away from that. And, and again, it's bad enough where, where we let it fester inside of us if we are defi to define it as hate. We need to get away from that word, I think. It's bad when it brews inside of us. There was a Native American elder who was interviewed by Time Magazine, and she was very respected in her Native American community. And they asked her, how did you become so wise and loving and so respected over your lifetime? And she said this, and let me just read the quote. There are within me two wolves, one of love and one of hate. You can't feed them both, and so each day, whichever one I feed, that's the one that grows. Now, rather than hating sin, whether it's ours or someone else's, let me suggest a more faithful biblical response, which is to grieve over it, 
mourn over it, you know, and, and also mourn over our own sin, but forgive the sins of others. Don't hate the sin, but forgive the sin and grieve over your own. Mourning and forgiveness, I think, helps keep from feeding the wolf of hate within us. And it stunts the growth of that wolf within us. And you can take sin very seriously without hating it. I think mourning and grieving over sin and forgiving for sin is a lot more difficult than hating the sin. Hate's the easy way out. I think it's more difficult to do the other. And really it can fester in a way that's self-righteous. And self-righteousness, really, I could say, of hatred. I think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's a wonderful uh, painting that I love by Christian Dare. Uh, Jackie, you got it there? Okay. And uh, very, very much like this painting, uh, you have the uh, Pharisee in the background and the publican uh, further up. But again, Pharisee means separate ones. They're the ones that kind of separated themselves from other people because of their self-righteousness. And then there was the tax collector who really was on the outs, the marginalized one, who was considered the worst of the worst kind of person. But it's the Pharisee who loved his own righteousness so much that he could not look down on his own sin, grieve over it, let alone hate it, though we're trying to get away from that word. It's the tax collector who grieved and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He saw his sin, grieved over it, and had genuine repentance. I think we need to focus on our own sin so we can grieve through it and get to the point of celebrating our rescue from sin. In a few minutes, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. How does that song go? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a, fill in the blank, a wretch. That saved a wretch like him, her, uh, that politician, that hypocrite over there. No, that saved a wretch like me, like me. Let's focus on our own sin and not spend our time judging others. Finally, let me just say, I think it would be best if we could scrub this phrase except for the first word, love. You know, Jesus never said love the sinner. He did say love your neighbor. He did say love your enemy. And we should be determined to do that because that can change the world. I wonder if we can modify, shorten that, this whole statement we're dealing with to, well, let's look at this t-shirt here. Love the sinner, hate the sin, but everything's crossed out except the first word, which is what? Help me. Love. We can speak the truth in love while at the same time refusing to support and condone sin. You know, Jesus never called somebody a sinner in the biblical record. Never looked somebody in the eye and says, you are a sinner. Yes, he did say, go and sin no more. He said, I've come, come to help sinners. But he doesn't, doesn't go out and call people sinners. He just spends time with them, has relationship with them, doesn't judge them because the time of judgment is not yet at that point. It's funny, the only people he, in a sense, judges are the self-righteous people who are judging everybody else. Close with this. Uh, Gigi Graham um, is Billy Graham's daughter. Gigi had a daughter go to Sanford, and, and I had her in class, wonderful young lady. And Gigi, uh, one time, was a Billy Graham, her father's date to a dinner because... Billy Graham's wife couldn't make it, and um, they went to this dinner in honor of the 75th anniversary of, of a Time magazine, and they went there together, sat there together, and they found themselves uh, sitting there far across the room from uh, President Clinton at the time and his wife, Hillary, and this was right after the big scandal hit with Monica Lewinsky and all that. He had uh, just been impeached uh, by one of the uh, legislative branches, 
And, uh, you know, so it was obviously a downtime for him. Well, Billy is sitting there at this dinner. He catches the eyes of the Clintons over there. He gets up and walks across this large room and goes over and speaks to them warmly, uh, slaps Bill Clinton on the back, sits down and starts talking with them for a good while before dinner is being served. And they're just talking away, laughing. Uh, he embraces them as he leaves and comes back over and sits down. And Gigi wrote in a piece, uh, she said, uh, afterwards, uh, Dad and I were uh, heading home in the car. And she said, I looked over and said, Daddy, that must have been hard for the Clintons to be there with so many people gossiping about them and judging them at that point. She said, but Daddy, it must have been even harder for you to go over and speak with them. And I love what Billy Graham said. He said, honey, I'm a sinner too, just like they are. And it is not my place to judge. It's just my place to love. In fact, he put it this way. She said, right off the cuff, he said this, and I think this encapsulates it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's our job to love. Can we say that together? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's our job to love. Before we enter into the Lord's Supper this morning, we're going to sing that best of songs. For me, there's Amazing Grace and then every other song. And uh, I think it will prepare us, hopefully, for us to consider our own sin and the celebration of being set free from our sin by Christ. And what better way to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper meal? So if we could stand, and I'd like to ask the deacons who will be serving to come down to the front. Let's stand and sing this wonderful song. <laughs> 